0: I was just talking to Pastor John um, before we started and he reminded me just, just a couple of weeks ago actually in India there's a whole, um, in an area of Manipur there's a whole um whole area that's had a fresh wave of persecution and a thousand churches burnt and 800 families um, displaced um, simply because of their following Jesus in that region of India now the persecution is increasing but as Pastor John was saying revival is actually increasing as well and it's, it's always a driver of revival persecution it's like as the dark gets dark as the light gets lighter and um, so we, today, we, we, you know, in our hearts, we do pray for that region as well, that those Christians would be encouraged, that they'd find would um, find practical help that they need, but also the spiritual encouragement in that area. Right. Um, so today, I thought I'd just share, I was asking God what to share on Mother's Day. It's a bit loaded. You know, what do you share as a mum on Mother's Day? I feel like if anybody's a mum, you know that you feel like a failure half the time. <laughs> You know, so you yell at your kids on the way to church, that kind of thing, It's like, Jesus help us all, is all I can say. Um, but anyway, we know that we're not perfect. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, today I wanted to honour the mums, but I wanted to say from the outset, as Christians, that we're all actually called to be a spiritual mum and a dad. That we start off as spiritual infants, then children, then we become into adulthood as Christians, and we're actually all called to be a spiritual mum and a dad to other people. And so, whether we have biological children or not, that that is a role that is a part of the calling of God on your life. And um, I know myself that I've been blessed and ministered to, and by many women and many of them who never had their own children. My own godmother um, never married and never had children, but she was a missionary, um, and she has spoken into my life prophetically at several seasons of my life that have been really crucial, and I am so grateful for that. So I want to encourage you that that God is saying to you that don't discount the fact that you're not married or don't have children or whatever, that God has called you to that space and and to the people in your world around you. And I know often um, people say... uh, Oh, this is a fatherless generation, and in a lot of ways it is, but in a lot of ways it's motherless as well. You know, in, in the West in particular, we can be so busy that we can actually miss the opportunities to be that. Um, nurture nurturing mother in a space with people to actually take time to listen to speak identity into the children into the spiritual children. Doesn't matter age doesn't matter, but also the physical children in our world and those God puts in front of us. So I just want to say that. Um, But today I wanted to share lessons I have learnt from my mother. Lessons I've learnt from my mother. So I've got seven things. We'll see if we get through them. I don't want to keep you all day because I could talk about her all day. Um as I said, um, my, my mother and father were actually Anglican ministers, and I'm one of five children. And in this last, last year in particular, I walked, walked through the journey of her having cancer and then passing away in January. Now, so this is a slightly bittersweet day for me today. And the fact that she's not—I don't have my mum here—and so I do, you know, feel for for those two who are missing their mums. At the same time, I know that she's in heaven having a party, so that's why it's bittersweet. Because I know there's no way in the world she'd want to be down here today, <laughs> um, apart from encouraging us all on. Um, there are some incredible mums from the Bible um, in the Bible, and there's also some not so great mums. But um, I just wanted to share about my mum today, and. Um, just some things that, that I learnt from her. And I, you know, as a kid growing up in a Christian home, and especially a PK, is a little bit like, ah, oh, you know, um, all the pressures of that. And you think like, oh, why can't I have the freedom of that? And oh, why is she stopping me from doing that? Now I'm actually incredibly grateful as an adult. I am so grateful. Um, we can put her picture up at, at some point. <sighs> so that's my mum. Anyway, so you can look at that for those visual people who need to look at something. So um, my (laughs) mum, I mean, we've got a variety there. She wore many hats. Um, So my mum showed me that love does not have favourites. Love does not have favourites. You know, Romans 2 verse 11 says that God does not show favouritism. And I um, am so privileged to be part of a family. I'm so grateful. Even though we had five children a mum lost um, one through stillbirth and a miscarriage, there were seven in all of us, that even though we could not all have everything exactly at the same time, we all had different needs, there wasn't an equal thing, that we all knew that we were loved and that we would have what we need when we needed it. So there wasn't a... Um, Favoritism, which I am so grateful for in our family, very different personalities, a lot of fighting growing up. But even I, I credit that as adults now that we're really good friends because there wasn't that sense of favoritism. Who knows that God is love and he doesn't show favoritism with us. And I think that's the thing that I want you to get hold of in this point. You know, as Lisa Bevere, I don't know if you've heard her speak about this before, but she so eloquently puts it that God does not love us equally because that would imply that his love could be measured and that God does not measure out love a little bit to you and a little bit to you. It's actually overflowing and he all loves us uniquely as we need, how we need in that time and that season. He is love. He overflows love to you in the unique way that you know. We all have different love languages in the unique way that you need and that God does not have favour, he doesn't go, oh, well, you're favoured because you've got X, Y, you've got a good job, you've got a nice family, you've got X, Y, Z. His love is for you and towards you. Sometimes we actually block the love from God because we expect it to have to look like a certain way. And sometimes kids are like that, it's like, oh, you're not loving me because you're making me do my homework. And when you grow up, you realise that's actually is love, you know. <laughs> um so I think my mum did a pretty good job embodying that and I'm so grateful for that. Love does not have favourites. Second thing, the lesson that I learned from my mum. My mum showed me that our life with Jesus is meant to be all encompassing every day in the mundane and our identity comes from him. Um, my mum loved Jesus. Um, she showed me that you can worship Jesus um, and serve him through every season. Um, of course, being a PK, pastor's kid, you get to see all the everything. <laughs> the Sunday and the Monday and the Saturday night and the drives in the car. Um, now she was ne- not perfect. Not for a minute would she ever say that she was perfect, but I got to see the fact that our Jesus, our life with Jesus is not just a Sunday thing, that it's in the mundane, it's the driving to it's listening to, you know, worshipping while they're driving in the car. It's the um, praying in tongues while you're vacuuming. It's um, praying about things when they come up in the news and praying about things when they come up in the family. Um, my mum wore actually many hats. Um, she actually got saved as a teenager. She was radically born again uh, going to an evangelical youth group. And even though her parents weren't actually, well, they were fairly conservative and fairly nominal themselves at the beginning. Um, she did an arts degree. She worked as a social worker in the 60s and got married to my dad. And he got ordained to be an Anglican minister about the same time. And in those days, immediately, um, she was cast as the role of the vicar's wife, um, which in those days, and it still does for a lot of people, mean that you are everything <laughs> for everybody. She's was the organ player, the Sunday school teacher, the cleaner, the hostess, the woman's ministry leader, the woman's pastor, everything in between, the... Um, yeah, basically everything. She was even for a season. She was a youth group leader in her 60s because there's no one else to lead along with somebody else. And um, having said that, like, we joke in our family because my sister was part of the youth group at that time and she thought, how uncool is that? Um, but out of that particular youth group of about 20, there's probably about five pastors that have come out of that season. Because of her love and her passion for Jesus, it went beyond her Coolness to her age. I'm trying to, I'm going to get through this without crying today. Promised. <laughs> um, she actually got baptised full immersion um, because in Anglican you get sprinkled in various things, but she got baptised full immersion around the time of, if you went to the Jesus Revolution movie last week, around that season of time, she got baptised in the Holy Spirit before I was born. And for that I'm really, really grateful. You know, one of my earliest memories was actually, um, I was obviously short enough to look up to an ironing board. So quite little, looking up to seeing her praying in tongues while she's ironing and going, you know, what's going on, what's that? And um, for that, I'm just so thankful that for that example of what it means to follow Jesus, even when you're doing stuff that nobody else cares about except whoever wants their shirt ironed. Um, you know, look at Jesus. I often think about Jesus and the fact that most of his ministry was as he walked along. You know, his ministry wasn't a Sunday ministry. It was as he was doing th- stuff. If you look at, you know, the first thirty years of his life was doing the mundane. The first thirty years of his life was getting to know his father, and and the word, and just learning how to do life with people. And um, I, that is so significant. You know, we want to have these high moments of ministry sometimes as Christians. But God it put so—I mean, there's so many people in the Bible where they had those seasons of insignificance. But God was digging deep roots into them for the season of ministry, and I'm sure that that was part of how He learned how to do ministry as He went along. He knew people. He knew. He understood relationships at that point. To be um, her mum's example actually helped me when I became a mum. To be honest, I, I didn't get married till I was late, nearly 30, and then we had Caleb when I was 30. Before that, um, I had been a sports and spinal physio, and I'd been working in Auckland, and then we were later in England, and I'd been treating um, quite high-level sports people, and then England treating all sorts of things, and I got quite a lot of kudos from that, and Also, alongside that, I had a real passion for ministry and doing missions and all of that kind of thing, and um, had led to several, you know, a few mission trips overseas and been involved in missions pastor and all different things like this before we got married. And um, when we were in England, we had amazing time over there, and then we got pregnant with our first Caleb over here, and then we came back to New Zealand just about to pop, and move to Wellington where we hadn't lived before as a couple. And in that season, I was, um, I, to every new person, I was just a mum, because I was at home with the kids. And it, to be honest, it was quite an identity crisis for me. It was, um, yeah, all those things that you get your identity from, what you do, who you're involved with, you know, all the things you do for God, the things you do in the world, all those things, actually. Who knows that when you have a baby and your knee-high in nappies that they all get stripped away from you and you end up going, who am I and um, what is my worth today? I managed to keep the kids alive. (laughs) Tick. (laughs) I got one load of washing done today. Tick. That's awesome. Um, But it was actually my mum's example that showed me again that... Following Jesus and our identity comes from him, irrespective of the labels that we have and that we hang our identity from. I always say being a mum's a little bit like spiritual boot camp because you have to learn how to pray on the fly. You have to learn how to... um, deal with crises and tantrums in the middle of the things you have to learn how to hear the holy spirit in the middle of busyness that you can't control <laughs> um who knows you can have these nice little prayer times and you can put it at any time of the day or night but it will be interrupted by young babies especially if you're the mum they'll still go to you even if dad's available and can help instead who knows that i can see you nodding at the back yes amen the baby breastfeeding at the back um But our identity comes from who God is and walking with him. And um, that's one thing that I learned from my mum. Such a great thing that we all need to learn, that it's not our job, it's not our success, not our bank account, not what we do for other people. Third lesson, my mum showed me how to be a mum whether you have kids or not. And I think this is the thing that I wanted to share, again, for those who don't have kids, natural children, You know, that God has still called you to be that mother and to not sort of push it off because you don't have physical children. Um, As I said, my mum was mum to many. You know, there's times where, you know, mum and dad got home from something, they found a teenage mum sitting in their lounge. I don't know how she got in the house. And for a season, they had her living with her. Um, She was mum to everybody from the person who had specific learning needs and difficulties right through to very vast (laughs) um, kinds of people. In some ways, being a vicar's wife, you had to be that, but in other ways, she chose to be that. Relationships were always the most important thing to her. She mothered people while doing life. It wasn't like she was trying to you know, go out and make special appointments. It was just as she did the stuff that was in front of her. And I want to encourage you, whether you're a spiritual mum or a dad, that it doesn't mean you have to go out and make special appointments to have one-on-one mentorship time with people, that it's as you do the stuff that God's given you to do that you can be that spiritual mum or dad, for the men in the room, to the people that God's put in your world. And he actually needs that. He needs us to do that. Um, you know, my mum even did relief teaching for a while there in her 60s. And um, that was actually because she wanted to help pay for my hostel at uni. Um... You know, she's still obviously a vicar's wife, but it was just to help with that income. And even then, the teenagers called her auntie and um, thought she was amazing, even though we thought she was uncool at the time. But um, we're so, it's such a great example of how, whatever your role you are in, you know, even thinking of Suzette there with all the children, like how many, like being a mother to those children is a God assignment on your life. Um, Four, fourth lesson I mean, I could have a trillion lessons from my mother. My mum taught me that words are powerful, and I'm really grateful to her for this, because right from the get-go, she was, like, always on us about how we spoke, how the words that we use. You know, I'm not going to lie, my mum was actually very verbose, as she said. She always verbally processed. Um, you know, even last year when the doctors at the hospital were saying, oh, do you exercise or whatever, and she says, oh, no, I exercise my tongue, though. <laughs> um <laughs> Um, we used to discuss everything under the sun, and there'd be debates, and the people would walk in. and Even I think when Mike first met the family, he was like, "What is this? You know, it sounds like a raging argument, but it wasn't. It was just a passionate discussion about the things of the world and what's going on." And Mike's been healed of his trauma, but um, <laughs> but anyway, having said all that, she's always drilling into us the power of our words. And um, if we ever said anything, even as young people, oh, I'm fat or I'm ugly or whatever, she's like, don't say that, don't say that, you are not. And then she'd speak the opposite. And I'm so grateful for that training in the power of our words. She was also very hot on the not speaking sickness and things like people say, oh, so-and-so's bugs getting around. She's like, I refuse to be sick. I'm not going to, you know, accept that. And um, uh, those sort of little mantras that you hear and as you grow up has been such a gift for me because every time you feel like, oh, I'm oh, I'm going to get COVID because so-and-so got COVID, I hear her voice in my head saying, no, I refuse to get sick. And it's, um, we need to be reminded of that—that that our words are creative. You know, when God created the world, He had the Holy Spirit and the Word, and He created. With the Spirit and the Word, you create, and you create whether you're creating with the Holy Spirit or with the enemy. You can actually create evil by, you know, inspired by, you know, some negative demonic thing out there. If you speak that out, you can create it. And I even say that to my kids, don't I? Your words are creative. Don't say that. <laughs> and I. Um, perpetuate that but as James says so clearly you know in chapter three the power of life and death is in the tongue so I encourage you again to think about how your words are creative you know um that it was quite a shock to her when she got diagnosed with cancer because actually she'd had a very healthy life and apart from a few colds here and there she was never sick she used to take a mental health, not a, we call them mental health days now, but maybe once a year she'd just have a day where she'd just stay in bed and rest and catch up. But apart from that, she's never really sick. So for her to actually get diagnosed with cancer last year was quite a shock to her because she's like, what? Well, you know, this is ex- unexpected. And um, in January they said um, it's untreatable, we'll put you on palliative care, you've got six to nine months to live. And mum being mum, she's like refused to accept that. <laughs> and um, her words throughout the whole season was actually, God's in control, and, he, and her cancer was actually esophageal, so it was in the um, eating tube here, and she said, I've just asked God to put his hand on that and only let happen what he wants to let happen, and um, I'm not gonna go into theology of healing here, because I know that God can heal every single one of us, and we did pray for her healing, but it was an incredible um, walking in that. For a, for a start, she had six to nine months of pretty good health, and actually, apart from tiredness, was was um, pretty good, and she thought she'd been actually completely healed until, at that nine-month mark, it started to deteriorate, but at that point, um, you know, the doctors said that she should have been dead already, and at that point, they had to put a tube in to help her eat again, and then, but it did really strike me over that season, it, Sort of at the end of last year, they finally did an MRI so to see what's going on with cancer. Because they don't with palliative, they don't bother trying to do investigations. They just make you comfortable. And um, they did do an MRI to see what was going on. And because I've got a medical background, I found it fascinating that even though that she should be dead already, this cancer here had grown, but not significantly anywhere else in her body. There's no big tumours anywhere else, which would be normal, the normal progression of cancer. And normally you pass away from something like your liver getting affected or other things like that. And it really struck me that the power, even up to the end, and I'm not going to get into theology about um, you know, cancer and why she died and why she didn't, because that's a mystery to me still, and you know, but it still struck me that her words had power and actually God did put his hand on that cancer and it didn't, you know, spread into like big tumors everywhere else. And in the end she passed away because of not being able to eat, because of that. That thing there. And um, so even right to the end, even though it wasn't the perfect healing that we asked God for, it still actually had power. And um, it's a lesson that will stay with me, you know. Even in the unknown of why didn't she get healed, it still had power, her, her voice. Um. My mum, on the back of that, showed me that prayer is powerful, and um, to be honest, my esteem for prayer has gone up and up and up. You know, when I was a kid, I thought it's not very, really, you know, glamorous. As a, you know, when you're aspiring to be a great thing in God, you don't go, oh, yeah, I want to be one, the one up at 5 a.m. praying in the back room. But... Um, Especially working at Open Doors, we see the power of prayer constantly. They'll put up a on our interweb, um, they'll actually put up a prayer request for a dire situation, get the world praying, and then within a week you'll see a shift. And you, So it really has shown me the power of prayer. The thing that has shown me too, because it's interdominational, so you've got Coptic priests and you've got um, a whole range of people. Um, Some people who don't even believe in the Holy Spirit praying but their prayers are still bringing um, breakthrough and healing and that's been a really good lesson to me in terms of not being proud about having all the gifts of the Holy Spirit or whatever, that prayer is still powerful. And um, my mum prayed for everyone all the time, everything from government stuff to friends of friends, children who's going through a crisis. She prayed for us. One of the things I miss the most is her ringing up, seeing what the kids need prayer for, um, what's going on in their world, how can I pray for stuff. And I'm so grateful for her prayers. And I really feel that the weight of responsibility to carry that on now that she's headed off to have fun with Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, I actually heard a testimony um, which was really powerful. Really hit me once. And I thought I, I felt to share it again. It was actually from a, a preacher who had been a drug addict, and he um, in a season of his life, he had, um, had several overdoses where he almost died, and then finally, at one point, he had an overdose. And in that season, he had a um, powerful encounter with the Lord and he met Jesus, he got delivered, he got saved, he got set free, and now he's a preacher. I remember him speaking once and he was saying, I asked God, why, why did I not die when my friends died? Like, why did I not die? And he felt God say to him, oh, it's because you had a praying auntie. Now in his world, he had no Christians except for this one auntie that he got a card from once a year. And I don't even know how well he knew him in that, that season. And he said, after the, you know sharing that testimony, he said, who are you praying for in your world? Who are you praying for? That they their life depends on you praying for them. And I felt so convicted by that. You know, our prayers are powerful. You know, quite often the most sanctified prayer is Jesus' help. And I think if you know, being a mum, and in the middle of tantrums, in the middle of craziness, Jesus help is the most sanctified thing you can say. You know, actually on the back of that, I heard another testimony, someone went on a mission trip up into the Central Asia region. And uh, they were with a group of people setting up for an outreach of some sort. And they're putting up the staging and uh, somebody fell off the stage and broke their arm and the bone was sticking out. And one of the team there who's from church spoke in tongues, but it just happened to be that her tongue was English. And so the team that was visiting, who knew English, of course, you know, anyway, this person whose tongue was English came running up to pray for that person who broke their arm, and her prayer in tongues was daddy help, daddy help, daddy help. And that person got miraculously healed. And it's just such an incredible, you know, lesson to all of us that doesn't have to be super highfalutin spiritual words for it to be impactful and powerful. So i encourage you, often it's me in the middle of like craziness, the middle of car accidents, that it's it's that crying out to God from your heart that you've seen the impact of prayer. <sighs> you know, I, even my younger sister attributes, she was a bit of a rebel as a teenager, and she goes like, gosh, if it wasn't for mum's prayers, I, there's so many things that I've got into that I didn't. She is so grateful. The times that she's about to sneak out in the middle of the night to see her boyfriend and mum would didn't know anything about it, of course, but would sit on the end of her bed and say, I'm so proud of you, I just love you, you're awesome. And then my sister couldn't go through with it because she felt so convicted. You know, things like that. Well, you don't know the impact that you have, but your prayers are powerful. Um, I could go on and on and on. I've got a few more points, but I I think... You know, my mum showed me by her life that you can't do this life with God without the Holy Spirit. You know, as I said, she was baptised in the Holy Spirit before I was even born. Um, She actually prayed for me to get the baptism in the Holy Spirit when I was seven, just at a bedside, you know, at my bedside. Um, She actually said, "Okay, pray in tongues. I was like too shy. I was like, you know. It wasn't until I was 18 and I was in my hostel room at uni going, God... I, I, can, I want to pray. Into, I'm quite a heady person, a thinky person. And I was like, God, I want the gift of tongues. Why can't I do it? And he, I just felt him impress on me. Look, I gave you the gift when you're seven. You just need to open your mouth and trust that it's me, and it's not you're not making it up. And that was all I needed from him. But again, it was my mum praying for me. You know, at seven, and she was always hot on the fact that you can't be successful in this life without the Holy Spirit. And I'm the first to admit that sometimes I'll forget him in the day. I'll be just morning or night or you just have these moments. But we're all actually called into the space. We're learning how to um, walk with him so that we're sensitive enough to him to stop and wait and talk to that person at the lights. Or to actually not be hurried like Jesus who's willing to stop in the busyness. Um, that we're filled with him continually so that we have the resources when crisis happens. You know, I, we had a head-on car crash once and you never know how you're going to react in that situation and I was thankful to the Lord that my response was prayer and praying in tongues um, in that season but we can't do it you know the Holy Spirit um, gives us the patience, he fills us with the love for the people that are unlovable he fills us with joy just not happiness, joy is that sense of he is with us and bringing his life and light into a situation even if it's A really rough one. I actually experienced what it really felt like to have joy after having a miscarriage. Actually, and that sense of his presence that sort of encompassed the pain and acknowledged the pain, but at the same time, he's overcome that sense of that. Um. So, how are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? You know, we want to give an opportunity. If you want a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit afterwards, to have that. You know, that's the thing that my mum would love the most. You know, I, in the final weeks with mum, you know, our family have gone like, why does she have to suffer? Why does it have to go on? And, and, you know, you do try and make sense of it. I do, I'm a heady person. You know, you think like, what God, what? How does this? And um, I, one of the lessons that I learned from her in that season is what, it, is what it's like to be really in tune with somebody. And the Holy Spirit showed me that that's how he wants us to be in tune with him. And those last two months, we had to do all her cares, just very much in that season of um, needing help with everything. And so as our family, we're all just taking turns being bedside with her. And so we really did to get into that flow of what does she need and that you, you get to know what she needed. And um, in the last couple of days, she couldn't speak at all because she didn't have enough breath for it. But at that point, we're so in tune that I could... I knew what she was saying and we were semi comatose and you know we're having laughs because we were like, what music would Mum want? you know after 70 years of different types of worship, what would she like at this moment? you know we're joking around amongst ourselves and then going, mum, do you even like this?" And oh no, she didn't actually want that at all. You know So things like that. but after that, God showed me how much that, that is how he wants to be with us. So in tune, that we can stop, that we can um, know what he's saying without having to go off and to have prayer and fasting in another room. It was a profound experience. Now, as I said, I could go on and on, but I I want us to finish with prayer. I actually wanted to pray um, for all the women in this room. We prayed this morning, just, I mean, at the start, just for mums, But I want to pray for all the women in this room that you'd actually get a fresh sense of your call to be a spiritual mum. And again, the prayer is for the men too to feel the same way about fatherhood. So can we just actually get all the women to stand? And we're going to repeat what Cheryl did in in some ways. And we're going to pray that God would actually release that fresh uh, awareness of what it means be a spiritual mum to the people in your world, and you may only be 20, and you've got some kids in your world who need someone to love them like Jesus does, someone to call out their Jesus identity. You may be 99, and there's somebody there who's 80 who actually needs a spiritual mum because they've never had a spiritual mum in their life. They may have had, you know, all sorts of other mother figures. So I just really want to pray that. Um, and then after that, I mean, I had. Um, we'll go into, I'll pray for that, but after that um, time, we'll break into just a time of prayer ministry, and I really wanted to pray for those um, who have had a difficult relationship with their own mother, and and I just feel like God wants to release healing in that area, like reconciliation, in terms of your heart, in terms of struggling with the fact that you didn't have the mum that you thought you deserved, or that, that you did deserve, um, I want to pray for those who've struggled with infertility. I feel like there's someone here who you either know someone who's struggling with that, or you're struggling with it yourself. And I feel like God wants to bring healing and breakthrough for that couple or people. Um, and I do want to pray for the fathers too, that you'd actually get a revelation of how God wants you to calls you to be a father, not just to kids around you, but just even in your workplace. Now, there's so many people who don't have example of God the Father. Um, to them and that they need that so let's just pray we're going to pray for the woman so again if you can just lay your hands on the woman around you men and children teenagers I'll pray and then we'll just break into prayer ministry and I'll let Cheryl take over but if that's you you're struggling with infertility, <laughs> or your mum um, issues with your mum or you want to freshen filling with the Holy Spirit you actually want to come back all your words, there's something about you want to actually repent of the words that you use, renounce words spoken over you and get a fresh, you know, river flowing through that tongue of yours. So Holy Spirit, we just thank you, Father, for how you fill us with your spirit. We just thank you for these incredible women that you've called into this room today. We thank you for every single one of them. Lord, whatever their job, whether they've got children or not, whatever state of stage of life, we thank you that you've called each one of them to be a mother in israel like deborah was who's a strong kick-ass leader Uh, she wasn't just a you know hideaway in the shadows lord god you've called them to be a mother in their spheres with the people that you've put in front of them but whatever season it is lord whether it's retirement work children careers mission stuff, ministry, whatever it is, Lord, we just bless them to know what it means to be a spiritual mom. I pray you'd bless those in this room who feel like they have not had a spiritual mum, that they've, they've been left like an orphan. Lord, they can relate to you as God the Father but have difficulty knowing you as your mother, the mother. Um, and so I just pray Lord that you'd release to them a fresh understanding. Holy Spirit, you'd fill them fresh that you would be that comforter, that you would be that nurturer to them, that you would be um, the one that comes alongside to help. Lord Jesus, you said when you went to heaven that you are not leaving us as orphans, that you would leave us the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, I just thank you that for those. Those who felt like they haven't had a spiritual mum, Holy Spirit, you can be that for them. But I just pray too that you would release, Lord, women into their world who can, for seasons, for parts of their lives, for their whole lives, be a spiritual mum who can be the words of wisdom into craziness, Lord. We're designed to be part of a family. Lord, you put you put the lonely in families, and so I just declare that today, that you're putting the lonely in families. You're enabling us to be that family, but also you put us into family. And so we just declare that in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father.